Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And welcome to the show. And uh, today we're going to do a show that is all about your sitcom scripts. It's all about everything to do with the sitcom scripts. Um, what happened recently, I found that I had to read about 30 sitcom scripts of uh, radio, TV and all sorts uh, in a very short space of time. And um, it was a lot of um, very uh, obvious facts were coming through. Uh, there was some very funny ones and there were some slightly less funny ones. But there is a, a, a series of points and there are things that we have talked about before. Mm-hmm many times yeah. um, but I th- we thought it would be a good idea to put all those ideas consolidate all our it ideas is. into one package one easy podcast yes one easy podcast for your delectation and so we're going to talk about all of the things um, that, that came up so before we get there we've yeah. got a couple of questions from Facebook which relate to this and also this is good that we're talking about it because I've I've recently watched some TV sitcoms that have been produced. I watched a whole load of new ones and I found myself wondering what is this show actually about? Um, which, even, which even funnily enough, is the title of episode one of Sitcom Geeks. Exactly. Yeah. I even found this um, watching an episode of Porridge mm-hmm. um, where Fletcher's writing letters for everybody else. And um, I watched that episode and I thought, I don't actually know why Fletcher's doing this. I don't know why... I, I, I don't see what I don't know what this is about this right. is just Fletcher being frustrated that he's writing letters for other people mm-hmm. um, except it's not Fletcher it's the grandson of Fletcher right. it's, um, and you think this show only really exists because um, because of Ronnie Barker mm-hmm. in the same way that Still Open All Hours only really exists because of Ronnie Barker right. um, and that David Jason is still alive and so when Alison Hull on Facebook asked Facebook asked why are the BBC so keen to remake old sitcoms instead of coming up with new ones? I think it's a very good question, and the answer is, search me. Um, but in one sense, it just feels like the B- BBC One are trying to work with you know, something that's already a bit of a head start. They know mm-hmm. that people loved Porridge. It is one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, and the writers of it are still alive, oh. and they are prepared to write it, um, uh, for the money that is being offered so you can sort of it, it all makes sense mm. um, but the only problem is you're left with something that feels like it's slightly reheated yeah. uh, rather than made from fresh mm. um, I think partly to be fair to the BBC they are trying to do whatever it takes to keep audience sitcom alive and for that we of course applaud them they're not uh, quite doing whatever it takes that's the subject for another with the, podcast well, with, the money, However, with the money they've got the, the last comedy playhouses I finally got round to watching them and I have to say of I watched about five different comedies in one Sunday evening um, and one I made it all the way through to the end uh, or was Static Right. Which was the caravan, um, the caravan one, which mm-hmm. also had um, Alison Steadman in it, as mm-hmm. well as that famous comedian and Phil Davis, and Phil Davis, who was very funny. Mm-hmm. And I actually really enjoyed that, and I watched it all the way to the end. But even so, I was still left at the, and I hope they recommission it mm-hmm. for a series. But I was still left at the end of that, thinking, I don't know what this show is actually about. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that is something that's worth bearing in mind mm-hmm. as we talk about these. Scripts. The other question, sorry, Dave is That's chomping right. at the bit to talk no, about. No. Um, the yeah. other question we had on Facebook from Jamie Mackay was saying, I wondered what you guys think of the importance of the sit 
in sitcom. Yeah. If you have a great cast and a great script, is it as important? I would say that you probably can't separate those things. Mm. As in, you might get away with a poor situation if you have a really good um, cast. But having said that, um, there have been some great shows with some great people. You know, Mr. Charity, we talked about uh, with Pete Sinclair. Stephen Tonkinson, a fantastic comedy actor who'd had great experience and chops through doing Drop the Dead Donkey. Yeah. great script written by really funny writers the audience has fell about laughing it wasn't enough Yeah, it wasn't right mm. so the idea is the situation really does need to say something about yeah. what your show is really about I think mm. or at least what it's about and what it's really about is a bit of a yeah and again when we talk about um, the, the family sitcom um, that that the, the, the sit is the house but of course that that is always being redefined so a show called modern family is a sitcom with a family but the, the sit is three different houses and it's th- reflecting three different lifestyles so um, that's very much different from say my family or um, just the steptoe and son or whatever yeah. the, the, the um or ab fab and so so the sit is kind of reflective to, to to the of the con you know even if it's something as conventional as like say even something like peep show you know two two guys two 20 something guys sharing a flat and how many times has that sit been done but it's it, it's what you do with the sit really isn't yeah. it yeah and there are ways in which um you know, it depends. You might come up with a sit first. In fact, all of my sitcoms, as I've said before, I've actually come up with a situation before I've come up with the characters. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm thinking about management consultants um, who are sort of too young to know any better. Uh, Hut 33, set in Bletchley Park during World War II. Bluestone 4-2, about bomb disposal in Afghanistan. The, the situation came before the characters, but that's not how, by any means, every show is, is yeah. originated. <clears throat> um Ab Fab, you know, was from a character, from a sketch um, that was created um, by Jennifer Saunders. So it depends which way around. But ultimately, you want your situation and your script, your jokes, your cast and everything to be pulling in the same direction. Mm. Um, Otherwise, you're just sort of doing a show that is somewhere for the sake of it. um, And I I think you're making your life very hard for yourself. Yeah. I think there was a other question as well was about, mentioned uh, time wasters, which is one of the new sitcoms uh, of the last few weeks, which I've seen. Have you? Seen I have it? not seen in my five oh. five show binge watch evening. That was not. I don't think it kind of well, quite come out yet. I may be wrong. I don't like to. Uh, I don't like to uh, raise your expectations too much because I know. I, I, James and I often we say to each other, "Oh, you must watch this. You must watch this," and it's always, hmm. oh, "I didn't quite enthuse as much as you did about that." But I, yeah, did, that what common. I've seen of Time Wasters, I have really enjoyed, uh, and that is a show that really does clearly know what it's about, um, even though it's got a quite a complex uh, setup, uh, which is basically a jazz band from the modern day find themselves uh, transported. And through a block of flats back to 1926, um, and hilarity ensues. Trust me, if you haven't seen it, um, great. so yeah. So if we can come back then to to my kind of overall notes um, based on all these scripts that I saw, um, the thing that hit me time and again 
was something that we haven't really, really discussed in, in specifically, and that is structure, the structure of a sitcom. And um, the structure is, it's there, really. It's, uh, there's not a lot you can do about it. A 30-minute slot is... 27 minutes on the BBC and anything between 20 and 24 minutes on Channel 4, ITV, whatever. Uh, and it'll have an ad break halfway through. And, you know, you can have Only Fools and Horses and you can have Mrs. Brown's Boys or Peep Show or Absolutely Fabulous. All totally different, but they're all using the same structure. Uh, it's like, let's say, you know, if you're building a house, you don't start with the roof. So you need to be aware of the structure of a sitcom. Even when the first on your list there and on our notes is Seinfeld, even mm. when they do everything they can to convince you that the show isn't about anything, mm. um, it takes a lot of work to make something look like it's not about anything. Yeah. And so even when something seems to make a virtue of not being about anything, it has just very cleverly disguised its own structure. Yeah. Um, so, whereas some shows like Sean's show, we have discussed before, is effectively the Pompidou Centre, where you can see everything, it's all on the outside. Uh -huh. There are other shows where they're very minimalist and you can't see anything, you can't see any of the joins and you think that uh -huh. this, isn't, this isn't anything, but actually they are very carefully structured. It's just they've done a really good job of hiding the joins and hiding the the sort of the plot crux moments and that sort of thing yeah I mean, we talked last uh, episode ab about how stories seem to have got lost in, in recently um, if you take something like Faulty Towers which which is an intricately plotted 27 minute farce mm. about uh, 31 minutes actually sometimes they got oh, slightly longer and longer okay. and they weren't quite as strict on the uh, time but I, I, I believe the later episodes run at about 31 or 32 right that <laughs> ruins the argument that I was making well it's but even so it's yeah. it's 32 minutes and it's not 55 yeah and you start with a character and the character has a goal and uh, that goal conflicts with the other characters or with their own ability to achieve it, or with the laws of nature. And um, there's a conflict that escalates step by step in this uh, story that you have. So you get to the point, about two thirds of the way through, where all is lost or all is won. And then you have to get back from that point to the end of the episode where the world is back as it was at the start of the episode. No one's learned anything. Um, that you've got your character who got into scrapes is getting out of them um, or ideally by having to make a choice or a decision and at least appear to learn something which they will have safely yeah. forgotten in exactly. 23 uh, in, in, you know in, yeah. in, in an hour or in a week's time minus minus half an hour yeah so that's really the, the, the crucial point to remember is um You've got the story, a simple story to tell, and you don't have a lot of time to tell it. So I read a lot of scripts, and it's all very enjoyable. I was reading four or five pages at the start, and some interesting conversations and philosophizing, and groups of people sitting in pubs or whatever. And just by the 25th script, mm. I was screaming for a story to start. Uh, I had that in an episode of... Um Upstart Crow, which I actually gave up on after 10 minutes. Oh, really? Um, it started with um, talk about Catholics and something, and there was sort of a. But they just. He, 
it's a good show I like it but they just kept making a series of oh imagine a world where you know basically Britain tries to leave Europe or imagine a world mm. where and they kept doing it kept doing it kept mm. doing it so they did all these jokes in the pub and then the actors were there who were very funny including Dominic Coleman who I love very much and then they went back to Shakespeare's house and then they kept making these jokes and after 10 minutes I was just like this story needs to start right now or I'm turning it off and it didn't and so I turned it off right. I just thought I can't because people talking is not enough mm-hmm. um, far be it for me to tell Ben Elton how to write his show and how to write comedy but I could tell him how to write that one <laughs> because yeah. It, yeah. there was not enough actually happening and, it's, it, and we've had a question um, on Twitter from Alex Smith who said, is there something to be said for launching into a script while the idea is fresh, rather than spending weeks planning and outlining it first? Yeah. And he said in the, in the tweet before or after that he is by nature a planner. Hmm. So what I would say to that is, it is well worth just splurging dialogue. And if you, if you want to launch in, launch in. Yeah. And you will be producing sort of raw material that you can then start to hammer into shape as and when you need it early on the best thing you can do is just to hear your characters talk mm. um, I remember once I was swimming and I I could start to hear characters of a sitcom which has subsequently failed to be commissioned on at least two occasions um, start to talk to each other and I had to get out of the pool go to my locker <laughs> get my phone and type out about a 15 line conversation between the heroine of the show and her daughter and I and in the end that conversation never ended up in the script mm-hmm. but it was a key moment where I could just hear them yeah. talking and um, so anything that that moves it on is great but there comes a point where you have to sort of put that to one side work out okay what's going to happen how is how am I going to keep my viewer interested beyond just people saying things that are funny mm-hmm. because you do need a story and that comes with structure I've definitely uh, I've, I've changed my normal way of working this the project that I'm working on at the moment just because I thought I always say oh prepare and prepare and prepare and plan and plan and I thought right I'm going to ignore my advice here I'm just going to uh, try and splurge and which I have been doing and it's but it's hard it's hard for me and it's probably uh, hard for uh, Alex in the same way you know you you, you it's letting go it's 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 a hard thing to do but once you do do it it, it can be quite liberating uh, we talked about Carla Lane and that's how Carla Lane used to write she would just start writing uh, but all the, regardless of how you do that you do need to have in your head this simple fact you've only got this limited amount of time you've got a story to tell there has to be this moment of jeopardy this moment where all is lost or all is won the opposite of jeopardy um two-thirds of the way at the end and then you have to find the characters have to uh, get you to the end and you can't just invent a plot it has to be consistent with the flaws that are in your characters and that's yes, the, the, the yes the plot mm. the character needs to solve their plot problem in a way that is surprising but retrospectively inevitable yeah um, mm. once you've seen it you realize oh that is the only way that you could have resolved that yeah. Um, in the same way that I was just thinking about the lovely movie A Knight's Tale which I showed to my kids recently uh, the Heath Ledger movie mm-hmm. with Paul Bettany in it who was just amazing as Chaucer where he, he walks he walks into the movie literally naked 
because his character Chaucer has gambled away every single thing that he owns. Right. Um, but there's a plot issue at the end where in order to compete in the final tournament, Heath Ledger's character has to be a knight. And the only way he can become a knight is if the king makes him a knight or if the prince, uh, prince of Wales or whatever makes him a knight. But he's already met the guy earlier on in the film because he, he jousted against him and then he's... And then you just think that was the only way in which it could have happened. But the first time you watch it, you're not expecting that to happen. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of looking for those things. And that sort of stuff takes time and it's not terribly funny or rewarding. Mm. But you need that... You know, if you want a really fancy, lovely car that everyone's going to drool over, you still need a chassis yeah. underneath it. It's going to hold the darn thing together. Mm. Um, otherwise, you basically got an Alfa Romeo, uh, which is going to fall apart sooner or later. That's yeah. a petrol head joke there for all of you Top Gear fans. Right. Totally over my head. <laughs> yes, Dave. Not a flicker of a response from blank, Dave going there. Totally blank yeah. to you there. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so yes, that, be, <clears throat> just be bearing that in mind, because um, otherwise you can just go all over the place. And you really, you're looking for three or four kind of big things to happen. Once you've had this story develop, this, uh, this plot thing that happens very early on, ah, right, X has to get this thing. All right, here's the work first way. Step one, nope, that doesn't work. It makes things worse. Step two, that's made it even worse. Oh, we're on ITV. It's time for a break. Um, okay, we've got to solve this for good now. I'm part two. Oh, no, it's got even worse now, and we're two-thirds of the way through, and we've yeah. got to solve it. That's one thing I was particularly mindful of when I um, wrote a couple of episodes of Citizen Khan with Adil Ray. One thing I was really uh, challenged by and struck by was how Adil was committed to making Mr. Khan, his comedy character, absolutely instrumental in his own downfall. Mm. So he was really ruthless, and it was very frustrating and hard work, um, but I knew it was the right thing, was when we had a plot that basically worked, he would pick a hole in it and just go, well, you see here, all he's done is Mr. Khan's tried to do something and he's failed. He needs to have made it worse. <laughs> he oh. has to have made it worse. And... So that would be another hour, two hours spent working out, okay, how is he the author of his own downfall at every turn? Yeah. It's not always possible, um, but it normally is. And I think that's one area, again, in which I think scripts can feel unrewarding or not very exciting is because somebody has a goal, they try, try number one, doesn't work, number two, doesn't work, number three, the thing that you, the audience, know they should have tried all along and they finally do. That's you know that that's okay but it's not great and what yeah. you need is someone just to say let me try there's a really good um uh chuck wendig i think i've posted his um link to his blog before i'll try and put it on the on the notes um where he's very big on let me tell you what's wrong with your script without even having read it <laughs> and it is basically You've just got people trying and failing, and that's not enough. It needs to be. Oh, I'm going to try. Oh, I'm going to try. And do it. Oh my goodness, it's gone awful. Mm. And then, uh, oh my, it's got even worse. Oh no, and now there's a pterodactyl attacking me. And now, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. So you, you you and and you need the characters to be trying to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah. And there's a lot of plates to spin. I'm I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, what would you say Citizen Khan is really about then? It's, it's, about, it's about his his inability to to uh, 
see things from any other point of view than his own self. I think I, I think it's he could easily be portrayed as a selfish, self-aggrandizing character, and that might be where he started as someone who wants to be considered a community leader. Um, that's sort of very much series one, but actually, uh, what's what's really lovely about the show is that he he loves his wife and his daughters, but he doesn't really know how to love them. And therefore, he will always try to love them in the wrong way. Right. Um, but also, he's fundamentally quite lazy. And so, therefore, he will try to help them in a way that doesn't cost him anything. And then he realises too late that it's now going to cost him far more. Yeah. And if he'd only done the right thing at the start, it would have been okay. But he didn't. And now he's really got to pay for it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, those are kind of the, the, the things that we were talking about with that character, which is, you know, in one sense, an archetypal sitcom yeah. character and, and, you know, none the worse for it. Which is episode two. We talked earlier, episode one of Sitcom Geeks What's Your Show About? What's It Really About? And episode two, we talk about the main character, where you, where you have a main character. Uh, uh, we could call it a monster or just somebody who is larger than life. Citizen Khan is kind of both those things, really, isn't it? To some it? extent, yeah. yeah. Um, or Miranda. Miranda you know, is literally larger, larger than, life. than life. And she's almost too, she's too big for uh, the world around her almost mm. I think yes and she's someone who is looking for approval you know I think she wants the approval of her mother mm. and the approval of Gary the approval of the, of, of Tilly and those around her um, but she's also fundamentally slightly too lazy to actually do the things she needs to get it right. and actually she should want their approval less and be happier with herself more right. and she sort of has to learn that lesson every week yeah learn it only to have forgotten it as you say by the time we come back next yeah, week but that's life yeah that's why you have the same conversation with the same people week <laughs> after week is because people don't learn and they don't change yeah they, they they maybe grow up a bit and they may change slowly over 15 20 30 years which is why when a sitcom runs a long time mm. like only fools and horses the last episodes feel very different from the first but ultimately you know that's a change through getting older but yeah. overall people don't change sitcom characters don't change and in that sense I think they are more true to life than mm. most other forms of television yeah I agree I agree um, I've just got one other uh, observation that I made really from reading all the script and uh, the word is punchlines now this isn't doesn't just mean oh here's a joke and uh, there's a gag there's a punchline but it does mean that of course we want lots of jokes not enough jokes in sitcoms we know that put more jokes in please mm-hmm. ideally they're character based um, and um, but also remember that a scene is uh, a self-contained uh, it's a bit like a sketch really as we've said before you need to get out of a scene with as funny as big a way as possible really and the punchline is the way to do that and we know punchlines are hard they're like second twists in sketches as we talked about before um you have to get to that point and um you you have to work really hard to get that punchline so um it's not just about pushing your story forward but always checking as James says about all the plates that you've got that they are spinning the one that gets forgotten quite a lot in the enthusiasm to tell the story possibly is that you forget there has to be a funny joke here Mm. and here at the end of this scene ideally is the funniest 
joke in the whole scene. Yes. It either needs to be a proper and funny joke. The only substitute for that is a really big cliffhanger. Mm. But you, you only want to do that if you've got 12 scenes in your sitcom you can probably get away with one cliffhanger the other 11 scenes are going to have to end on a decent joke and there are ways of, of doing that um, one is it just comes naturally and that's great The sometimes you discover that the scene should just end slightly earlier you've got a really good joke and then the stuff that you've got coming after it you just think we well, don't actually need any of that can go. you're yeah. telling the audience what you're going to what the character is going to do next and it's obvious what they're going to do next and you can start the next scene and we will have assumed that they've done it you, so sometimes you can or you can shift the order around so that you are thinking so that you are ending your sketch uh, your scene on a good joke um, without having to think of a new one but you know but think of a new one work out or you know cut the end off so that you're ending on the funny bit uh, or reorder it but just end every scene on a joke it really makes your script much easier mm-hmm. and more heartening to read if you are ending each scene on a joke that just tips you over into the next scene um, yeah. because although we are really big on making sure that your story is compelling um, it is the jokes that people will stay for because you won't be able to compete with Line of Duty or Game of Thrones for storytelling. Yeah. Um, you will need to pepper it with jokes. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is, I mean, I wonder if when you're reading these scripts, um, Dave, you felt surely they must have seen that this is too baggy, this is too... Did, did you not sort of think this has been poorly edited or self-edited or did you just think... What um, what was a little disappointing, I thought, was that um, and sometimes there would be sort of two or three scripts by the same person, and what felt disappointing was that they a, a script would get uh, would have been written, um, and it has had feedback from someone else as well, but the feedback has not necessarily been taken on board, and so. Uh, I would be reading a script and I'd, I'd read script one and think, yeah, there's some funny jokes, this is great. This character, I don't get what this character's funny thing is. I don't get what's supposed to happen. I don't really think there's much of a story here. And then I read their next sitcom. Oh, here's another character. I've got no idea what they're, they're doing. And it is about, you do, you, you, you know, you really do have to kind of learn from... <laughs> from your mistakes and we all make the mistakes and that's fine but um, it's the repetition of the mistakes that that was for me was a sort of quite a disappointing aspect Mm. I guess if you're not listening to notes then you are just going to repeat them Mm. then it's very easy for us to say try to get people to give you notes and I realise that's easier said than done but you can send your scripts to people to to read um, to producers and stuff and actually especially if they work for the BBC and they do tend to be very public spirited they will try to give you a little bit of feedback and it will be a headline probably but hold you know make the most of that mm. um, it may be the wrong note and I, you know, I can't vouch for everything being of all the notes being of top quality but um, but I do also have I wrote some blogs recently um, and in the past about how to at least self-edit your sketch as much as possible. And one thing I did recently when I was writing uh, "Be Lucky," which is my uh, Radio Wales uh, sitcom, only three episodes of it. I mean, it's a, it's it's about as low key as a sitcom can get. Um, but one thing I found myself doing, one script really wasn't working very well, and what I did was I took the script and I, well, what I normally do 
is print a script out uh, when I think I'm happy with it, put it away for two days, print it out, and then come back to it, go to a cafe without my laptop and a pen, and what? And and you know, physically on the piece of paper, just delete cut lines that I don't does, think does, are necessary. Does the pen have like a sort of have the internet on it? Yes, it's right. The, the, oh no, the, yeah. the pen has a thing that with thing called ink that comes out the end, and it right. goes straight on. It's like it's like an Apple pencil, right. but a pen <laughs> um, goes straight onto the document. It's it's old school, and. Um, so if you get a bit because I find that if I start editing my sitcom script on the screen I, I then stop reading it properly and actually well, the best thing you can do is, tr- is in a way try to factory reset your brain and read it afresh and then work out is this working try to read it in one go without making notes and then try to read it again and start making notes and start making cuts and work out what is this line doing here is this moving the story on? Is this a developing character? Is this a joke? If it isn't at least one of those things, you have to delete it. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I have to say, the new thing I tried though was for a script that I didn't think was working. I wrote a summary of my own script. So I, I wrote that script based on an outline that I'd already written. Okay. And so, but there was a gap between what I thought was my outline and what the script was and mm. what was working. So I wrote a new outline based on what I'd actually written and realised, oh, in this scene, nothing's actually happening. I'm trying to summarise the scenes and work out how does this move the story on Mm -hmm. and discovering that this is just a bunch of jokes and there needs to be more development here or I've got this in the wrong order or something. Right. So so I'm just trying to sort of do any way of resetting my brain so I'm taking a fresh look Mm. and that usually involves printing stuff out, having another look at it, a fresh mm-hmm. set of eyes, and then doing a rewrite based on that. Yeah. And anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. I'm a big fan of the walking away for two days and coming back again. You really do notice things that are blindingly obvious that were not at all yeah. clear two yeah. days ago. And unless you're shooting it tomorrow, there is always time to do that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you get yourself organised. There isn't if, you've, if you're writing for a script competition and the deadline is tomorrow and you've only finished it the day before. Well, you should have started earlier. But um, also, but that's okay because, you know, when you're in the zone and you know that that script has to be finished by midnight, the, the, there are some things that, that magically kick in anyway. Mm-hmm. And so the chances are that uh, you, you'll, you'll find them. If the script is already on its way to being the mm. right kind of script so, you know if it's not working uh now it won't work in four hours time but uh you may what you may miss and, and you, you know if you you will gain from having that deadline but if you haven't got that deadline mm. and it's hard when you've not got a deadline just set yourself a false deadline mm. write it put it away come back to it and you'll see allow it to prove in the oven <laughs> not in the oven in the in the proving drawer right um now you, I think we are done with that uh, amazing topic. So and we're we're about to wrap things up. But if you, for example, want to send us the first ten pages of your script, uh, you can still do that. Uh, we are reopening the doors, but we are reopening the doors for our first ten pages for subscribers via Patreon. So go to our Patreon page mm-hmm. and have a look at that, and we will do special subscriber-only Patreon episodes where we go through the first 10 pages and we 
uh, we talk about all this stuff uh, in further detail and it could be your script that we're doing that with. Um, Dave also has some things up his sleeve which we is a, he is able to offer you. Yes, we've got, uh, I've got some courses running. You find out about them, writing uh, for sitcom or stand-up or writing for topical comedy. Um, go to my website, davecohen.org.uk and slash make a living at comedy, I think. is uh, not got that quite right, but it's something like that. Um, you'll see it on the menu if you go to the... the homepage and uh, yes get in touch with us sitcomgeeks at gmail.com or the facebook page sitcomgeeks yes and also on twitter sitcomgeeks on twitter and i'm also sitcomgeek and cohen dave that's me um, is that um and also i read a book called writing that sitcom which actually takes you from as the americans say from soup to nuts <laughs> on um on coming up with an idea and seeing it all the way through and sending it off so hopefully that will be of use. And if you become a Patreon subscriber, you will get my book for gratis and for free. Yes, and mine as well, How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy. And also for some of you, uh, the new book, which will be out very soon, called Funny Up. Which is a brilliant title uh, for a book. Thank you. Congratulations <laughs> on finding a good title. I'm also uh, hopefully writing a book called A Good Sense of Humour. Uh, which oh. is about um, why we love comedy and jokes and why it so often goes horribly, horribly wrong. Um, so it's sort of partly about the ethics of comedy and how people take offence and and Brilliant. being a uh, a god bothering type. This is something that I I get asked about quite a lot, and you know my people are often very sensitive to uh, jokes about blasphemy and things like that. So uh, this is something I've thought about a lot. Right. Um, I'm actually less sensitive to these things than most of um, other fellow god botherers, but. Well, I have to say, I think the first time I ever heard the C word in a comedy show was uh, Bluestone 42. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is quite a legacy. And it's amazing that, um, that the catchphrase from Series 1, even though it was only in the first episode, was off UF. Yes. Um, and uh, that one caught on. We believe that um, one sergeant major asked permission from his captain or somebody to be able to dismiss a parade with that expression um, on a parade ground uh, of uh, Her Majesty's uh, Armed Forces mm. anyway thanks very much for listening to the show thank you very much speak to you again soon bye